Welcome to our study in Philippians. Tonight, we are going to be spending some time in verse 7. Um, our study is, is kind of taking us verse by verse through the study. And uh, I'm very excited tonight to be able to share with you uh, a segment that I've entitled, Showing and Telling the Gospel. Uh, Philippians chapter 1, verse 7, Paul writes this. He says, it is right for me to feel this way about all of you. Since I have you in my heart, and whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. Um, as Paul is in, in prison here in Rome, he's writing back to the church at Philippi, and he's sending it through a courier. And what Paul is trying to communicate is the, the depth of his commitment to love these people that are in Philippi. And as part of his explanation of it, he's saying that, uh, you know, I love you whether I'm with you or whether I'm here in Rome and I'm bound in chains. But he uses a little phrase here in the midst of all of this. He says, whether I'm in chains defending and confirming the gospel. And what he is basically saying is that though he is in prison, um, later in verse 13 of chapter 1, we find that Paul says, listen, me being in chains has been an advantage to those who were around me who were without Christ because I've taken advantage of this moment to share the gospel with those. And what we find later in verse 13 is that Paul says um, in the palace, uh, there, or excuse me, in, in the kingdom of, of Rome, that there is what they call a palace guard. And Paul says, because I have been here in prison, it's almost as if the entire palace guard has heard the gospel because of my situation. Now, what this doesn't mean, it doesn't mean that Paul, you know, spoke to every prison guard that came to him to give him some bread or water or whatever the case may be. Um, it doesn't mean that he necessarily had an individual conversation with every single prison guard. What it means is that Paul was very likely an excellent prisoner, if you can be such, but Paul um, had a reputation for uh, his demeanor, his presentation of the gospel, his love, his care for other um, uh, prisoners who were with him. Um, and so in that, he was finding opportunities to share the gospel. So he would have certain conversations with individual prisoners or prison guards. But the reality is this, is that it's most likely that Paul would continuously talk about the gospel and that word spread about his message that he was sharing. It's very unlikely that he shared with all uh, the prison guards because at, at, at full capacity, the prison guards in that area would, would reach about 9,000 men. Okay, so it's very unlikely that Paul would have individual conversations, but the reality is, is that he was sharing the gospel, and as an effect of him sharing the gospel with one person, they were really unaware that they were sharing the gospel with other people as they were talking about Paul. And so when Paul says, I've been defending and confirming the gospel, um, tonight I want to break down these two words, and I want to take us down two different uh, tracks of study. Um, these words, defending and confirming, are legal words in the Greek, okay? So the word defending is the word apologia in, in the Greek. This is where we get the word apologetics from, okay? If you know what an apologetic of the Christian faith is a defense of the Christian faith, okay? And what that means is that anytime you see a book 
that is written about Christian apologetics, it doesn't mean that it's a book filled with Christians apologizing. That's, that's not what an apologetic means. It means that they are explaining what they believe and why they believe it. They are defending what they believe and why they believe it. And this is what Paul's talking about. He's saying, I'm defending the gospel. They know that I follow this resurrected man named Christ, but they're asking why. So I am defending not only what I believe, but I'm explaining to them why I believe these things. And so, um, you know, you'll see uh, different books. If, if you went to university, maybe in some high schools, uh, they'll have you read uh, Plato's Apology. Or there are different, you know, variations from different authors, so-and-so's apology. Again, that is not, you know, Plato apologizing for what he believes. It's Plato defending what he believes. And so this is what we find uh, Paul doing. He's explaining not only what he believes, but he's explaining why he believes he's defending his faith. And so um, for you and I, this is what that means. It means that, that when... When I am um, explaining my faith to another person, that is in essence me defending what I believe, okay? When I'm confirming what I believe, it's me living out what I believe, okay? So, so I, I have expressed and explained what I believe and why I believe it, but the confirmation of those things is viewed in the way that I live those things out. Okay, and so Paul is saying, listen, I am here in chains, but I've still been defending the gospel and I've still been confirming the gospel. And so tonight what we want to do is we want to kind of unpack these two different veins of what it means to uh, uh, defend the gospel, but also confirm the gospel. But before we get um, into the guts of this, I want to I want to help us understand that it's so vitally important that when we take on a position to share the gospel with another person, okay, in a, a myriad of different ways that we'll talk about tonight, it's so vitally important that we possess a disposition of the heart that's pleasing to the Lord, Amen. right? Because the reality is, is that we can say all the right things, but say them in the wrong way and get the wrong result. So our aim is to say the right thing in the right way and hopefully get the right result, okay? This is what Peter would say about this notion of, of explaining our faith. He would say in the midst of one of his epistles, he says, in your heart, you know, revere Christ as Lord, but always be prepared to give an answer to anyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. In other words, he's saying, if anybody comes to you and they say, why would you say that Christ is resurrected? Be prepared to explain why. In other words, to defend the gospel. This is what I believe, but this is why I believe it. But do this with gentleness and respect. With gentleness and respect. Keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. And so it's incredibly important for us. Um, you know, we have, we have all seen the street preacher, right? Which in, in one sense, they are doing what's right most 
of them are saying the right things, that Christ died for your sins, that there is a judgment in hell that awaits those who rebel and continuously, perpetually reject God. They're saying all the right things, but they are saying it in an incredibly condemning way. They are not, they are not doing the gospel justice. And so that's what Peter's saying. He's saying, listen, just, just go in. It's not your job to win these people. It's not your job to convert these people. It's your job to be a witness, to tell them what you've seen and heard, and let the chips fall where they may. Let the Spirit do his work. But when you share the gospel, make sure that you do so in a meek way, okay? So tonight what we're going to do is um, we're going to, again, go down these, these two legs. The first thing I want to talk to us about is the fact that Christians are called to share the gospel, Okay. Um, in other words, we're called to uh, defend the gospel. We're called to explain the gospel, to share that with, with other people. And tonight what I want to do, I want to give you 10 or 12 different ways, that modern ways that you and I can, can share the gospel. Okay, uh, I'm not going to take complete credit for these 12. I, I, I know the guy. I can see his face in my head, but I cannot remember his name. But he's a guy from the UK, and he originally came up with like 16 things that you see in the New Testament that are ways that people shared the gospel. Uh, so many of these stem from that, um, but I can't exactly uh, remember which are mine and which are his, so we're just going to say they're all his. Um, but I want to share with you all these ways that, that we can uh, share the gospel in a modern way. Um, the first one in your outline says sharing the gospel can be done through letter writing, through texting, through social media, through books, through movies, etc. Okay, um, we see this in the New Testament that the gospel is shared through the writing of letters. Okay, the entire New Testament is a formulation of 27 letters that authors wrote to share the gospel with other people. Okay, so we see an explanation of the gospel, a sharing of the gospel uh, in scripture. Um, and so there are a lot of different ways that are like variants of, of writing a letter. Uh, very few people write letters anymore or write cards. I, I am a huge, I love writing cards, personal cards. I love receiving personal cards. Um, but, but the easier way is to shoot somebody a text right? It takes less time. You don't have to worry about these things called stamps. Um, it's just an easier method um, uh, to, to share something with someone. And, and that shouldn't be frowned upon. I mean, we should embrace technology um, as long as we use it for the good. Um, there, there are ways that we can use with, with social media books, all this kind of stuff. Um, but when it comes to letter writing, um, this is, is something that, that I think may be overlooked in our modern society because we have the advantage of all the technology. Um, but I have, uh, there have been a number of times where I have taken the initiative to share the gospel with someone through a letter for, there are a lot of different reasons, but one of the main reasons is because when you receive a letter, um, there are no defenses up. Right? If, I, if I go to have a conversation with someone and they can see the serious nature on my face, all of a sudden it's like, whoa, I don't know what I'm getting into. But when you send someone a letter, they read it on their terms. And if they don't like the second part of your third sentence, they can put the letter down and come back to it whenever. They can throw it away. It's at their disposal. But you have done your job in sharing the gospel with them. Right? So one time, years and years ago, I grew up, I had a cousin um, 
I grew up with, and, and we all, you know, grew up going to Sunday school together. And when we were children, I mean children, um, somehow I came across his Bible, his childhood Bible. Uh, this was probably 12 years ago, 15 years ago. And I found this stored away in, in my house, and I realized it had his name on it and everything. And I remember I was just like, I remember, you know, inheriting this from him. Well, during the season, he was, he was incredibly away from the Lord, wanted nothing to do with the Christian faith or anything like that. And so I took the initiative, and, and I decided I'm going to write him a letter. And so I wrote him a letter, and I referenced so much about our childhood. I referenced our upbringing. I referenced the Bible and how special it had his name on it and all these kind of things. And then I just went into compassion mode. Listen, I know life didn't turn out the way that you thought it would, okay? Um, but let's talk about the life that's to come. Uh, man, my heart is just so burdened for you and just da-da-da-da-da. It was an opportunity for me to say what needs to be said and him to be able to do whatever he wanted to do with it. Now, I never heard back from him, okay? It's been almost 15 years. I've never heard back from him. But it doesn't void out the fact that the gospel was still shared. I still defended, I explained the faith. I shared my faith with him. Um, and so writing letters is an incredibly powerful way that, that we can do that. This is one of the ways that Paul did it, okay? Um, I've also found it incredibly helpful to share books with people. Um, when you begin getting into spiritual conversations with people, um, they are probably, you know, that's the funny thing about being a Christian. Um, if you're a Christian, you are expected by people who are not Christians to know everything about everything that relates to not only the Christian religion, but spirituality, all types of religion, philosophy. You're just kind of expected to know. And so what I found super helpful is in my conversations with people, just to be brutally honest, that I don't know. Right? I'm like, I'm not going to try to talk to you about some German philosopher and his view, his worldview about, you know, humanism that I can't even pronounce his first name. Okay. So I'm not going to engage in a conversation like that. But what I will do is I'll give you a book or a podcast for somebody who that is their field and they, they have a specialty. They're very educated in that. And I'll share that with you. And through that, it's a sharing of the gospel. Okay, so, so there are different ways that, that we can um, share the gospel, again, through, through technology and such. Um, you know, I wrote on here uh, movies. Um, I, I, I hesitate to say this. Okay, I really hesitate to say this. Um, but 98.8% but of Christian movies that are available and made in the past, you know, since movies um, are, are absolutely horrible. And an unbeliever is not going to be able to identify with any of them, okay? Except for that 2.2%, they'll be able to identify. So if you find those movies, pass them on to me, okay? So I kind of hesitate, but the reality is this, is that I have seen those movies such as The Passion of the Christ that was really powerful in turning points in people's lives. So God can use any venue, okay, if we make those things available. Um, but I'll even say this, you know what? There's coming a day where the church will no longer live on this earth. And do you know that there are going to be books and there are going to be movies and things that are, that are, you know, left in the wake of the rapture? And I believe that God's going to use those things. There, there are going to be, you know, Christian tracts that are, that are left. And when people come to a church, they'll find these things. And I believe that God will use those things to lead them to faith. Um, so I'm not against any of it. Um, but I do want to make this, this disclaimer. When, when we begin using 
technological venues like social media, which I believe can be used for the good. I believe that you know, a, a text conversation can be good, a phone call, whatever the case may be, I believe that they can be good and helpful. They also have their pitfalls, okay? Um, even writing a letter, um, it's, it's very difficult to communicate my emotion. It's difficult to communicate my tone. And so I can very easily be misunderstood. Okay, so it's very, very important when we use these types of venues that we be that we go overboard and explaining our heart, not just our head, but probably more important, our heart and our emotion, our um, our motive and why we're trying to communicate this good news with those people. Um, again, I'm not I'm not against the technology by any stretch. I will tell you this: um, the enemy is using technology for his good. Um, so why can't the church use technology for her good? Um, with the rise of uh, what I call TikTok theologians, you know, um, these people who have, who have never, they're not educated about anything regarding the Christian faith, all of a sudden they have a platform to tell you why the Christian faith is inaccurate or wrong or dismissal, any of those things. So we, need, we do need people online who are able to contend with these people and to dismantle their arguments. Um, we need that. And so I don't think those are things that we should shy away from. Um, I just think that we need to be careful of them. As a matter of fact, our church here... Um, Later this year, we're going to um, launch a, a new ministry. You know, our pastor has Life Matters, which is on the radio. Um, we're going to begin to branch out into different areas. Um, and uh, later this year, we're going um, to launch a ministry we'll call Theology Matters. And uh, we'll have a short, you know, couple-minute videos that explain uh, our doctrinal belief, our Pentecostal beliefs, what you need to know theologically, and in an effort to defend the gospel, in an effort to share the gospel, in an effort to help people understand what we truly believe and what we don't believe. And so um, the gospel can be shared in all these different ways, okay? Secondly, in your, in your notes, sharing the gospel can be done through conversations, okay? Um, you remember the conversation in John 3 where Jesus meets up in the night with this man named Nicodemus. Nicodemus is a religious leader, and he comes to Jesus, and he just starts asking Jesus questions about who he is and, you know, the, this new movement. And Jesus has a conversation with him that's very honest, it's very candid, and in that, Jesus shares the gospel with that person. Um, when we go to have conversations with people, I think, again, I'm, I'm restating, I think that we can have intellectual conversations. Let me just say, this. we need to be having intellectual conversations, okay? We don't need to talk about things that we don't know anything about. We need to be educated and know why we believe what we believe. So we can have an intellectual conversation with a person, but it's most important that we have a heartfelt conversation with the person. Okay, so they need to understand that the motive, the reason I need you to understand this is because I care for you, right? My soul is burdened for you. I don't want you to be lost. I don't want you to be lost in this life or the next life. Um, remember years ago, I, 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 had a, I, I had a family member who was, you know, away from the Lord. And it wasn't a family member that I felt like I needed to write to because that's kind of my default because I love writing. Um, but I really felt like the Lord was, was leading me. You need to have a conversation with this person. I didn't live in the same city as they did. And so 
in the course of time, I decided that I was going to, you know, go and, and see this person. And I did. And I remember we were just sitting in my truck and I just asked them where they were in life and everything like that. I asked them where they were in their relationship with the Lord and told, and, and I just looked at them and I said, man, I, I get it. I understand everything that you're saying, but you telling me this, you're telling me that you are willingly walking away from Christ Jesus, right? You are willingly rejecting God. And man, I just don't want that for you. I mean, think, I want you to really ponder what you're forfeiting if you make a decision like this. And we had a great conversation. He ended up coming, coming around back to the Lord. It, it was a glorious time. But, but sometimes the moment will necessitate a heartfelt conversation with another person. The trouble is, is that that's very difficult for most of us. And the reason is, is because our faith and another person's faith is perhaps one of the most vulnerable places in the human soul. It's, it's one of the most vulnerable places. And we are so afraid of saying the wrong thing or coming across the wrong way or them misunderstanding. And, and while I understand that, we need to be very methodical and, and, and pointed with our questions and, and what we say, very calculated. But we cannot allow the fear of the unknown to, has, to, to keep us from sharing the gospel. We, we just can't. Um, sometimes the gospel is going to fall on dead soil and it just has to fall on dead soil, but it has to fall. And so we, we need to begin to ask the Lord again, father, are there conversations that I need to have? Maybe you had a conversation 10 years ago with somebody and, and you just kind of let it lie and you haven't revisited it since the Lord may be prodding you and, and we need to be sensitive to the spirit um, and be willing to have those very, very difficult conversations, okay? Uh, number three in your notes, sharing the gospel can be done through personal stories. Um, John made this statement. He said, listen, as he's writing, he said, we proclaim to you what we have seen and what we have heard, okay? That's all he said. You realize that Jesus says, you will be my witnesses, right? Jerusalem, Judea, utter ends of the earth, okay? He, he uses the phrase witness. The purest form of a witness is not to convince someone of the truth. The purest form of a witness is just to say, look, this is what I've seen and this is what I've heard. You make a decision. It's not my job to convince a person. Again, I need to be willing to cross, you know, certain boundaries emotionally and ask very difficult questions. But at the end of the day, it's not my job to, to win them. It's the job of the Spirit of God to secure their salvation and their willingness in, in their soul to, uh, to come in line with God's work. And so the purest form of a witness is to just simply recite what they've seen and heard. Um, I've heard people say, you know, every Christian should have an elevator speech, okay? And basically the idea, uh, I learned this when I was in sales years ago in a former life, you know, um, every salesman should have a sales pitch, uh, an elevator pitch that if you get on the first floor with another person, by the time they reach their destination, that you have sold them on the product, okay? It's the same idea, um, except it's with the gospel. And so there are ways that, that we can... Um, we can share our personal stories 
Um, but we've got to be really careful with this, okay? Um, we call this sharing our testimony or whatever the case may be. We've got to be really careful about this because a couple of different things can happen. Number one, um, if I'm not careful, I can so glorify my former life and how vile and wicked and all the crazy things I have done. And listen to me, I've been there, okay, because I had a very wicked, vile former life. But I'm saying that, that if we're not careful, we can over-accentuate that and understate what Christ has really done, okay? So we've got to be really careful about that. Um, one of the, the simple ways that, that I've found in, in sharing a personal story is, is simply is threefold. The first step is to tell somebody who I was, okay, which includes, man, I was so lost without Christ. Here are two or three things like you wouldn't believe who I was in this former life. But quickly move from that to what happened to me when I met Jesus, right? What, what happened when I embraced the gospel and the good news of salvation? And then the third step is, and this is who I am today. Look what God has done. Look where God has brought me from and look where God has brought me to. It's a, it's a, it's a very uh, simple way that, that we can share through our personal stories. And listen, we can't underestimate our personal stories. You connect and I connect with people because of stories. This is why movies are so popular. You know why? Because they're telling a story. This is why books and this is why, this is why so many things are so attractive because people are telling a story and we, the way that God has wired us, we are just drawn to story. And so we, we can't really underestimate it. We just need to make sure that we're doing it well, okay? Uh, number four uh, in your notes, sharing the gospel can be done through church invites, okay? We see Andrew invite his brother Peter, okay? And Peter ultimately becomes closer to Jesus than Andrew, um, but there's a sermon in that for sure. But Andrew goes and he gets his brother. He says, I found the Messiah, and he brings his friend to Jesus, or he brings his brother to Jesus. Um, I think that, that inviting people to church is an incredibly non-offensive tactic. I think that it's strategic. I think that it works better with people that we are, are just kind of like on the fringes of our life as opposed to going and saying, hey man, listen to all the stuff in my personal life and let me share my heart with you about all these things. If they don't hardly know you, they don't want to hear that. They think you're weird, okay? But what, what they may be willing to do is they may be willing to say, yeah, I consider myself spiritual. I'll come check it out right? Before the pandemic, studies showed that, that the average American, okay, that 73, I think it was 72, 73% of Americans would respond positively if someone they did not know invited them to a church service, okay? And so we, we beat the tar out of this one in youth ministry, um, I mean, we would just get after it. We would get kids inviting their friends to just come, just come, just come. And the reason we did that so much is because we were dealing with students. And so many students are so fresh in their faith that their heart is far ahead of where their head is at right? They're, they're so passionate for Jesus. They know what they believe, but they don't necessarily know why they believe it. And so they'll go and start just trying to share their faith, but they won't be able to articulate, you know, what scripture says. And so what I used to tell teenagers is I'm like, look, if you find yourself in that situation, you bring them here and I'll share the gospel with them, right? You're going to play a part in that. It's that partnership that Paul talks about earlier in Philippians. And so it's, I think, I think it, 
can't just be one of those things that we say, well, you know, this type of church does that or this type of ministry does that. Um, this, is, this is the house of God. And not only are we, uh, is, it, is it healthy to invite someone so that they can hear the gospel, but, but listen to me say this. Sometimes people, people will just come and they will experience a move of the Spirit. And listen to me. There are times where you may be here at a church service and you may feel dead inside. You may be in a dry season and just be like, I don't feel anything of the spirit. But you may have somebody who doesn't even know the Lord and God is working on them. And so we can't just assume that what we are sensing is what everybody else is sensing. God is after their souls. God wants them to come to faith in Christ. And so when we extend the invitation to people, um, not only do they have the opportunity to hear the gospel, but they get the experience of being in the presence of God. They get the experience of what it's like to be around a spiritual family. You know, um, I, I, I get really tense. I mean, I, I love people, but it really tenses me up when somebody I don't really know, they invite me to go have family dinner with them. You know, hey, bring your family to, to my family. I, get to, I know that sounds terrible as a pastor. I'm just being honest, okay? Um, it, it makes me tense, and I'll go, but until I actually sit down and I rub shoulders, um, I'm super, super tense, but nine times out of ten, when I sit down and I start having conversation and, and I'm with the people, all of a sudden the defenses fall, right? And I'm like, man, I love this family. I could be a part of this family, and oftentimes when people are invited to the house of God, that's the first experience they get. And sometimes it's the most meaningful and the most lasting. And so it's not a dead art, okay? It's not a seeker-sensitive bottle. Um, it's the way of the Lord that we see several times in Scripture, most specifically with Andrew bringing his brother Peter. Uh, number something else in your notes, sharing the gospel can be done through parenting, okay? Now, we see this very specifically in the life of Timothy. The Bible says that uh, Timothy had a mother and he had a grandmother. Timothy's mother was Jewish, very religious. Timothy's father was a Greek, not very religious. But the Bible says that Timothy inherited the faith of his mother and the faith of his grandmother. Okay? And so whether or not um, you are a parent or whether or not you're a grandparent, um, you have a parental influence over somebody, okay? And so I just want to encourage you to use that to the advantage of the gospel, not in a malicious way or nefarious way, but, but in an honest way that if you really care for someone as a child, that, that you can share and impart those things to them. I think that sharing the gospel through parenting is perhaps the most effective way of sharing the gospel, I think from generation to generation is the most effective way of sharing the gospel. Um, if you're questioning how to do that, uh, I heard a phenomenal sermon a few weeks ago uh, called Post-Pandemic Parenting. Um, it's on the Christian Life website. You should check it out as some guy, terribly good looking. Uh, I'm not sure, but, but anyway, go, go check it out if you want more information about that. In your notes, sharing the gospel can also be done through signs and wonders, Okay. In the book of Acts, you see signs and wonders abundant. Even in the ministry of Jesus, you see him doing signs and wonders. And there are people that will come. They're not interested in spiritual things. They're just, I want to show, you know. And so we see this all throughout Scripture. 
Um, now, while we cannot force signs and wonders, we can't like make signs and wonders happen, we can definitely pray for God to do the miraculous in the lives of people. Okay, And so I think that we should, uh, when we are at school or with coworkers or family or whatever, we need to be enough in their world that we understand what's going on in their life and we need to understand the, the pitfalls that they faced in their life so that we can pray for them. And listen to me, as we pray for people who are sick and as we pray for people who are going through a divorce, as we pray for people who have financial issues or career issues or whatever the case is, listen to me. The moment that God does a breakthrough for them, all of a sudden, many people get interested in God, right? Like, can you imagine if you had a coworker and that coworker broke their hip, right? And they're in a cast, you know, and they, they kind of walk around like that all day. Um, and you go and you say, hey, listen, I, I just want to pray for you. I want to lay hands on you. Is that okay? And absolutely, go ahead. And you pray a mighty prayer in the name of Jesus, and all of a sudden that leg is like healed and restored. Tell me they're not going to be interested in the faith or who you're praying to. Tell me they're not going to be interested. And the reality is, is that people who are struggling in their marriage, if you pray for them and you offer them wise counsel and you continue to do those things and God does a miraculous work in their marriage, they are going to come back to you because they're going to be interested in the God that you serve. And so although we can't force signs and wonders, it's important that we ask God to give us opportunities for signs and wonders, not for the sake of signs and wonders. Hear me say that? Not for the sake of signs and wonders. Who cares? Okay, we want the gospel to be furthered. We want God to be glorified. Um, we don't need more men and women who are elevated in places of glory. We need King Jesus there. And, and that's done when, when we elevate him. And so no signs and wonders for the sake of, um, but that's one of the ways that we can share the gospel. Another way closely related of sharing the gospel can be done through miraculous encounters. Okay, now this is a little bit different than signs and wonders, and I'll explain. Saul is on the road to Damascus, okay, when he has an encounter with Jesus himself, okay? It was miraculous. He's knocked off his horse. He's struck blind. He can hear the voice of God, but the people around him can't hear uh, Jesus speaking. Um, now, again, although we can't cause these miraculous things to happen, we need to be people who are asking God and pressing in, Lord, do more of the, the miraculous, but even if it's mysterious, just work in a certain way. And listen to me again, that's not us verbally sharing the gospel, but it's us partnering in the gospel. And something has happened as a result of what we've done for the gospel. Um, I was talking to Pastor Glenn a couple weeks ago, and we were talking about um, uh, messages in tongues, which at a Pentecostal church, what we believe is that um, scripturally, uh, people are given different spiritual gifts and a person may have a gift of tongues, which means they may um, uh, use the spiritual language and speak in a dialect that's unknown, you know, maybe in the world, but definitely to the normal uh, uh, context. But then we also believe that there is a gift of interpretation. Okay, so someone speaks in tongues and another person is to interpret what they have said. And Paul said, listen, when you do this, the purpose is to edify the body. It's to strengthen the body um, of Christ. And so I was talking to Pastor Glenn, we were talking a couple of weeks ago, and uh, he told me about it. It's, this must have happened before I ever came to Christian life. 
But he said he was, he was leading worship, and at a certain point in worship, um, he said it wasn't in between a song break or anything like that. It was like dead in the middle of a song, right? Most people are courteous in the sense that if they can contain it, they'll wait till a low moment to give a message in tongues. But he was like, this person just couldn't. And he said, when I looked back and I saw the person, he said, I could tell they were just, they could not contain it anymore. And so they just, just bolstered out this, this beautiful message in tongues. And Pastor Glenn said, so, so I waited, I waited there and I was waiting for an interpretation, but an interpretation never came. And so I just moved along with the service, right? So weeks later, what he finds out is that there was a couple in the church that had invited a man who was of Turkish descent. And the man at lunch that afternoon, Pastor Glenn didn't find out till weeks later, but the man at lunch that afternoon, he said, who was the man um, that was speaking in, in Turkish? And they were like, what do you, that, nope, that didn't happen. And he said, no, the man who stood up in the middle of the songs and the couple don't know Turkish. And so they were saying, oh, do you mean the message in tongues? And the guy was like, whoever was speaking Turkish, okay? And so the people are finally like, oh, I get it. This man, in our eyes, he was speaking in tongues, but it was actually a Turkish dialect. And so they asked this man, they were like, what was he saying? And the man said, he was talking about how Jesus is the only way to the Father. And he basically just gives this articulation of the gospel, not knowing a lick of Turkish, right? But it's the power of God. We see this in Acts chapter 2, right? They all begin to speak in tongues. And people from all these different languages, they begin to understand the gospel in their own language, the Bible says. And so we, though we, we see things like that and we, we may see them scattered throughout, man, we need to be praying that God will begin to do more stuff like that. If, if we believe that the Spirit of God is alive and at work, uh, we've got to believe that he's able and willing to do some of the same things that he did in Scripture. And we can be partners in that. We see this all across the Islamic world today. We see it all across the Islamic world. I mean, there is like an outpouring of people who are having miraculous, either angelic encounters or as the angel of the Lord, we're not really sure, but they are having miraculous encounters with supernatural beings that are leading them to faith in Jesus Christ, right? Well, listen to me, that's a result of the prayer of the saints. That's a result of us praying for those in the, in the Islamic community and asking God to pull them out of darkness and into his glorious light. And he does it in miraculous ways. So that's another way that, that we can share the gospel or partner in the gospel. Next, we find that sharing the gospel can also be done through reading the Bible. Okay, you remember as uh, the book of Acts begins to unfold, um, the Bible says that Philip finds this eunuch and he is Ethiopian and he's sitting in a chariot. The Bible says he's reading the book of Isaiah. And so Philip, who doesn't know this Ethiopian eunuch, goes over to him and he says, what are you reading? And he says, well, I'm reading a scroll from a prophet named Isaiah. Now, the Ethiopian eunuch, we have no idea if he had any connection to Jewish history or knew who Isaiah was. But then Philip goes on and he explains to him the Messiah that is found in the scroll of Isaiah. And the Ethiopian eunuch comes to faith in Christ. He, Philip baptizes him in that moment and he's saved. Now, it's, it's probably unlikely that you're going to, you know, 
be walking through Walmart, you know, in the next couple of days and find somebody who's just walking around reading the Bible, okay? That's, that's pretty unlikely in our culture, but it could happen, okay? And if it does happen, it may be an opportunity for you. Don't assume that every person reading a, a Christian book is a Christian, okay? Um, there was a, there's a story by this great evangelist now. His name is J. John, and uh, just won hundreds of thousands of, of people to the faith through his uh, ministry. Um, he was telling the story one time about how he became a Christian. And he says that this guy just walked up to him when he was in college. And the guy asked him, he says, hey, let me ask you a question. What do you believe about Jesus? And J. John says, well, I don't really know. I've never thought about it. And the guy hands him a Bible. He says, read this. If you read this, I'll have a conversation with you. If you don't read this, I'm not going to have time to talk to you. Okay, wrong approach. Okay, please don't, don't, don't mimic that part of it for sure. That was definitely not the right way to do it. But J. John took this challenge seriously. He goes home that night and reads through the New Testament twice in one night. He reads through the New Testament. And he, by himself, becomes a Christian in his room by himself. So we have the opportunity to uh, partner with people who are reading their Bibles and explain to them what the scripture means, okay? But there are other venues that we can also help them through Bible reading as well. I'll give you an example. When, when I worked in the secular workplace, um, I was in, in a corporate office, and so um, the type of people I were, worked around, very alpha type, you know, type A personalities, very driven, driven, no-nonsense type people. And I would always take my Bible to work with me. I would rarely read it at work, okay, because I, I wanted to be a good worker, okay? Um, but sometimes on breaks, I may read or whatever, but I'd always have it in my, my cubicle. And so one day, this salesman comes up to me, and I'll explain to you his personality. Um, number one, he was a former police officer, okay? Uh, Number two, he was now a salesman. And number three, he was a very, very short man. So you can imagine the personality type without me even explaining to you the personality type, okay? A little obnoxious. So he comes over to my cubicle and he grabs my Bible and he says, what is this? And I say, well, obviously that's my Bible. It says Holy Bible on it, you know? And uh, he, he, he takes his thumb and he, he thumbs through it and he comes to this obscure passage and he just starts reading it. He's like, what does that mean? What does that even mean? You know? And I was so like intimidated in the moment, but it was one of those moments where it was like the spirit of God just kind of spoke through me and I had no idea where this came from. But in the moment, I was just like, listen, let me ask you this. If, if you had a novel that was 300 pages and you just picked it up and you thumbed through it and you landed on one place and read one sentence, would it make any sense to you whatsoever? He said, well, no. I said, then how can you expect a text that has 1,000 or 2,000 pages in it to make any sense that, that traces thousands of years of human history? How can you expect that to make any sense? And so, so in that moment, uh, it was a spirit-filled moment, but again, it, it provoked his curiosity, 
okay, about spiritual things. It agitated his intellect that I could contend with him a little bit in that moment. And so even if I don't find someone that's reading the Bible and they're interested in it, sometimes when I'm just reading my Bible in a public place, oftentimes that can provoke the interest of other people and I need to lean into those moments, okay? Uh, Next, sharing the gospel can also be done through missionaries, Okay, again, all of these are ways that we see in the, in the New Testament where the gospel is being shared. Barnabas, Paul, there, there are just so many different people that we could speak to uh, from this, uh, but they were missionaries, okay? Now, here's the thing. Again, I'm going back to the partnership of the gospel in saying this, that even if you aren't a person that does missions work, there can still be a partnership. If you are helping fund missionaries, you have a partnership with that missionary as they spread the gospel, okay? If you pray for missionaries, you have a part in that of sharing the gospel. If you go on mission trips, you have a part in sharing the gospel. And so missions is a, a huge thing here in, in our church family, and we encourage every, every Christian to be a part because it's not just that we're giving missionaries food to eat, it's that we're furthering the gospel of Christ, okay? Um, so it can be done through, through missionaries. It can also be done through specialty arenas, okay? Now, do you remember in the book of Acts when Paul shows up at Mars Hill? He shows up and he gives this tremendous speech. There are all these philosophers and, you know, uh, theologians of mythology and all this kind of stuff. And Paul shows up and he makes this ob- obligation or this observation. He says, I see that you think a lot of spiritual things, like, like your interest is provoked about a lot of things like that. And Paul goes into this deep dive about the different gods and how our God measures against these false gods and all this kind of thing. And in that moment, that was, that was in my mind, that was like Paul's sweet spot. Paul knew who he was talking to. He wasn't intimidated by their education because he was incredibly educated. He felt probably most comfortable in that arena with all these brilliant minds because he knew that he could stand his ground in sharing the gospel. And so I will say this. If you have a keen interest in a specific area, it may be, I'm not saying every single time, okay, but it may be, that there is a way to share the gospel through that special arena in your life. I would even say this. I would say that if you have a very profound interest that is above other interests, I would say that you probably need to explore, is there a way that I can share the gospel through this venue, right? So let's say that you're into biology. Do you realize the well of 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 understanding of things of the spirit when we talk about God as a great designer and how he designed body and nature and all of these different things. Um, Perhaps you're an engineer. There is a way that you can create analogies and you can draw people who have a like interest. You can draw them into a commonality and it can be a venue uh, for you to share the gospel. Maybe you like philosophy. Uh, man, the, the, the possibilities are endless. And this is what you'll find in, in Western America. You will just about find that in most venues, uh, whether it be, uh, you know, uh, sports or whether it be, you know, uh, a hobby, uh, whatever the case may be, you will find that there are people that are already leading the way and sharing the gospel in those venues but maybe you haven't tapped into it yet. 
And so I would encourage you to, to get out there and to learn more about your interest and how it relates to the Christian faith because it, it carries the potential that, that you may have opportunities with people that have a common interest that you may not have otherwise. Okay, so the possibility exists. Next, we have that sharing the gospel can be done through preaching and teaching. Okay, we see this all throughout scripture, Peter at the day of Pentecost, Paul throughout, Jesus' ministry, so on and so forth. I'm not going to say a lot about this other than to say that just because this is the primary way that you see the gospel being shared in the New Testament does not mean it's the only way. It does not mean it's the only way. So we need to take advantage of these different ways uh, as well. Finally, when it comes to sharing the gospel, we need to realize that it can be done through meeting the needs of people. Okay, you remember when Jesus is teaching in a home and all of a sudden things begin to fall from the roof and everybody kind of looks up and there's this small group of individuals and they've got this guy on a stretcher and they're just like, lowering him down to Jesus so that Jesus can touch and heal this man's need. And the Bible says that when Jesus did that, that the man became a Christian in that moment, that his sins were forgiven as well as he was healed. And so as we meet the needs of other people or we take them to a place where their needs can be met, oftentimes that is a way of us sharing the gospel and it provokes their hearts to, to things of, of faith. And so um, those are uh, maybe a dozen different ways that we can, again, defend the gospel. We can explain the gospel. This is why I believe what I believe. These are opportunities that we see in the New Testament. Therefore, as a New Testament church, as New Testament believers, these are models that, that we can follow after. Okay? So... Number one, primarily in your notes, this vein is that Christians are called to share the gospel, okay? The other vein that we're not going to spend as much time on tonight is the vein of confirming the gospel. And in your notes, it says this, that Christians are called to show the gospel. So it's not only that we are to share the gospel, it's that we are also to show the gospel, okay? Um, Now, the primary way that we do this is by living a life well. It's by being a, I, you know, I hate the terminology, a good Christian. I just, I don't know why, but that, that annoys me so bad. Um, as if there's room for being a bad, like, what does that even mean? Okay. And so, so uh, uh, I, I'm saying, I don't want to say be a good Christian, but I do want to say be a good representation of Jesus. Is that better? Maybe we should start saying, it's not as quick. So anyway, maybe we should start saying, be a good representation of Jesus. So let me express to you, based in scripture, just a few very practical things that that I believe that to mean, okay? Number one, to be a person of generosity, okay? Um, Be generous with your time with other people, especially, listen to me, friends, especially if they're not believers and they want time with you, that is a huge indicator, and you never know the moment the Spirit may prick their hearts to engage in a conversation about the Lord Jesus. So be generous with your time, but, but be generous with your money, okay? Uh, just as a reminder, we are funnels. We are conduits, and all that we receive from heaven, um, now we need to be responsible. Understand, I'm not, I'm not 
calling for irresponsible generosity. But I'm saying we need to be people who are generous, and we need to view the resources that God has given us uh, as, as, as if we were a conduit and, and we're trying to, to feed other people. So what that means is that means um, when you go to church on or when you go to church on a Sunday and you go to Cracker Barrel, okay, and your waitress finds out. Uh, wow, you look nice. Where'd you come from? Oh, I go to church at Christian Life. That means you leave a tip for that waitress no matter how poor the service was. Okay? Why? Because that's probably what Jesus would do. Okay? You want me to prove it? Because your service was really, really poor, yet he sacrificed his life and gave you everything, even though your service was really poor, right? And not just yours. Mine was worse than yours. Okay, so uh, uh, level playing field. But I'm just saying that we need to be generous people. We need to be identified by our generosity um, as, as Christian people. Secondly, we need to be people that are pure in our living. We, we need, I, I know it sounds cheesy, but, but we need to be people that guard the gates. We need to guard the gates of our eyes, our ears. Um, we need to guard those gates, and we need to be people that walk in purity, in biblical purity. We also need to be people who are competent at work. We need to be good students. We need to be good employees. We need to be better employers. We need to be better managers. We need to be good. Listen to me. If you have a testimony that will just shatter the heavens because it's so powerful, okay? If you have that, but you are a harsh employer, guess what? They don't have ears to hear, right? Because your love did not lead the way. And so they don't care so much about your words. They care about your ways. And so we've got to be a people that, that are competent. Again, um, this is not us explaining our faith. They want to be able to look at us and just say, man, there's something different about the way that they live. They, they, they excel in, in all these things. So we need to be competent, whether it be at work or school, whatever. Number four, we need to be people of our word. We need to be trustworthy people. When we tell somebody we'll do something, we need to do it. If we, if, we, if we set an appointment with somebody, we don't need to blow them off or to forget about it. If we, if we, we need, maybe need to follow up and reschedule or whatever the case may be, that's fine. But we need to be people of integrity. People need to be able to trust us so that when times of desperation come in their lives, they know that we're trustworthy people. Okay? Trustworthy means uh, that they can share things that are deep and painful and private about their lives without worrying that you're going to go tell other people. We need to be a people who are trustworthy. And uh, as my uh, mentor would always say, true blue all the way through. Okay? Um, number six, five or six, we need to be selfless. Okay? We need to learn to um, prefer the desires and the needs of others over our own needs. Okay, um, this is not only true in family situations, you know, with my wife, I need to prefer her needs over mine. I need to prefer my children. And, and obviously that's not every single time in every single equation or there'd always be a stalemate. You know what I mean? No, I want your needs. I want what you want. I want you. It would be a disaster. But for the most part, I, my default needs to be, man, whatever works for you best. Right? So um, anytime I set up a lunch appointment, somebody, somebody says, hey, I want to go grab lunch with you. One of the things that I say to them is I say, um, here are my dates that I'm available. Like these are the, the openings that I have. What works best for you? Can I meet you on your side of town? What time is best for you? What type of food do you like? Here's the only food that I hate. Okay? I, so I'm, what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to defer 
from my needs to them. And, and I'm telling you, when you begin to put other people, you know this, you do this. I'm sure you, I feel like I'm not talking down to anybody by any stretch of the imagination, but I'm just saying that, that you have seen the fruit of when you put the needs of others before your own and when you really love them well, you, you see that in response. There's something that changes in the dynamic of the relationship. And so we need to be willing to be selfless. Um, another thing we need to be willing to do is we need to be um, loving with our words and our tone, okay? Um, this is so true in person, but uh, just as a reminder, this is so true on social media platforms. Um, it's so important that, that we be loving in the, in the things that we say. Um, one of the things that 2020 did is it really exposed our political idols. It really did. And I'll tell you how it exposed it. It exposed it in large part on social media by the way that, that Christians were willing to talk to one another and to those who don't profess Christ. I mean, it really exposed so much. And so as God has taken us through that, we need to be repentant. And we need to be a people that aren't slanderous. We're kind with our tone. We love people. Uh, it's very, very important that we do that with our words. Um, and then finally, uh, we need to be involved in the needs and the interests of others. Okay, we need to be involved, care about what they care about, etc. Okay, now to wrap up, let me say that sharing my faith and showing my faith, let me tell you what they do not, des- what they do not require. Sharing and showing my faith does not require a lot of knowledge. It does not require a perfect life. It does not require the gift of evangelism or any other spiritual gifts for that reason. And to be quite frank and honest with you, it doesn't require all the answers. Do you remember when Jesus heals the blind man? The Bible says that he goes in to the religious leaders and they start asking him all these questions. You know, what happened? Where was it? Today's Sabbath. Who was this man? What did he do? Exactly what did he say? You know, did, he, did it involve spit? You know, he's asking all these questions. And the man's just like, I'm not really sure. So they call the man's parents over and they start asking the parents. And the parents are like, I don't, I don't know. Take it up with him. He's a grown man. So they go back to the man. Start quizzing him, asking him all these questions again. And at a certain point, he just pushes back. He says, listen. He says, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. But what I do know is that yesterday I was blind and today I can see, right? So I don't know everything that you're asking me, but I do know what I've experienced and I'm willing to share every single detail I can with you about that moment. So it doesn't require all of these things that sometimes we feel like it requires. What it mainly requires is a willing heart. That's usually all that it requires. Listen to what the Bible says in Acts chapter 4. The members of the council, when they brought Peter and John before them, the members of the council were amazed when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, for they could see that they were ordinary men with no special training in the scriptures, and they recognized them as men who had been with Jesus. Perhaps the most two important things that we need to attain is a willing heart to share the gospel and a life that is soaked in the presence of Jesus 
so that when we begin to share the gospel with people, that the presence of God permeates their soul. Yes, and he begins to do that work in that moment. Perhaps those are the only two things that we really, really need. I want to make sure I, I say this in a balanced way. In most cases, our ways, the way that we live our life, speaks far louder than the words, okay? But I want to say that, that oftentimes it's not until we live out the Christian life that people are receptive to our message. So it's very, very important we do that. Um, but I'm going to say that both are required. Both are required. You, you know um, um, the quote attributed to... Um, one of the saints, I can't remember his name right now. Um, but he says, um, basically, share the gospel at all times and when necessary, use words. Okay, now, that sounds awesome in the moment because what he's saying is just live your life as a Christian and that's testimony enough. But I'm gonna push back on that a little bit, okay? And say living a good and godly life is not always enough. It, it, there, there comes a point, especially with those in the inner circles of our lives, that we need to be willing to have very real and difficult conversations with if we care about their eternal souls. Sometimes it's not enough to just live a good and godly life, okay? Sometimes, and maybe he was right, uh, 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 St. Uh, Assini, maybe that was it? That's who it was. All right. Perhaps he was right to some degree. But to another degree, I, I just think there's more to it than that. And so we've got to be willing um, to use both of these as we share the gospel. Amen? Amen. Amen. Father, tonight, thank you for the word of the Lord. I mean, just so many principles that we find rooted in the Bible, so much truth. And um, I just want to pray that, that you'll help the saints of God. Begin with me, Lord, to be so sensitive to those who are lost that I come in contact with on the daily. And I just pray for a burden. I pray that you will give us a burden and a willingness and a life that's soaked in the presence of Jesus to be willing to share the gospel, to live out the gospel, yes, but to be willing to have those conversations. Um, I pray that, that you'll give us a resurgence of that type of activity in the body of Christ. So I thank you for your people that are so faithful and so true. I pray your blessing over them tonight as we come to you in a different type of prayer. In Jesus' name, amen.